Welcome to the Root Cause Revolution podcast with functional and integrative nurse nutritionist and energy medicine practitioner, Audrey Christie. Hey friends, welcome. Today we're talking about breast health and those pesky annual mammograms. This is something we talk about often in our free private Facebook group and the question keeps coming up. Because as more of us turn 40 and get well into our 40s, then it's what we're supposed to do in our 40s, right? So we're going to talk about that today. If this is your first time listening, I'd like to introduce myself. I'm Audrey. I'm a root cause clinician, and I specialize in helping you to stop masking symptoms and start healing, right? Stop. I practice a wellness practice, not a sickness practice. We work from the roots up and the inside out. I specialize in helping you to start your own root cause revolution to rebalance your body so we can heal it for good. So if you're done with band-aids and you're ready for real healing solutions, you're in the right place. So I don't want this episode to be all over the place, but no conversation around mammograms would be complete without discussing breast cancer and breast health, right? After all, that's what we're trying to do with mammograms. What we're, why we're ordered to do annual mammograms or semi-annual mammograms. So while the answer as to why a person gets breast cancer has so many factors, genetics, lifestyles, epigenetics, exposures, there are some things that are heavily implicated in breast cancer and heavily implicated in breast health. So I want to talk about some of those factors. Things that are implicated in breast cancer include hormones, right? That's probably top of the list, especially estrogens. This can come from your ovaries, your fat cells. It can come from hormone pills. It can come from steroids and cortisone. And it is reduced. So these hormones are balanced or reduced by strenuous physical exercise, right? Lifting heavy things, pregnancy, lactation, eating balanced anti-inflammatory nutrition, and menopause, The second thing that is implicated in breast cancer is something called organochlorines. And these come from pesticides, herbicides, bleach, plastics, and even heavily chlorinated water, whether it be tap water or pool water, right? It can also come from water pollution. The way you reduce your exposure to organochlorines is by filtering your water, using unbleached paper. That's a big one. Uh, Using less plastic, (laughs) I'll get it out in a minute, or avoiding heating things in plastic, choosing uh, organically grown produce, and avoiding canned food. The third thing is radiation, and specifically, or I should say, especially radiation exposure when you are young. Now, sources of radiation include x-rays and include mammograms. The only thing that reduces risk for radiation is avoidance because radiation is implicated in breast cancer in cumulative doses. The fourth one is EMFs. Yes, as in electromagnetic fields. And unfortunately, this comes from everything, right? Um, You can shield yourself or you can distance yourself. Studies show, and these studies are relatively new because the amount of EMFs we are under has increased significantly in the last mm, probably two decades. Um, But distance works better than shielding. If you can't be away from your device, then uh, shielding is kind of your next step. 
Another thing that is heavily implicated in breast cancer is tobacco. And tobacco is one of those things. There's no safe amount of tobacco. Avoidance is best. Same with alcohol. Alcohol is easily available, is often peer pressured, is convenient, and it is a stress reducer. And so the way to avoid alcohol, right, is or mitigate the cost of alcohol on your body is to reduce it, eliminate it, eat a good nutrition diet. You can use some herbal alternatives and you can also just in general reduce stress. Now, (laughs) not to make light of it, those are six really serious things. Hormones, organochlorines, radiation, EMFs, tobacco, and alcohol. And there are more. These are just, you know, kind of the top six that are implicated. But don't worry because there are things, some of which I mentioned, Um, But there are other things that we can do to improve breast health. So I want to make sure we paint a picture on both sides. Like I don't just want to scare people. Um, So in the, you know, things implicated in breast health, let's talk about that. So high levels of vitamin C. So fresh, raw, vitamin rich, vitamin C rich fruits, really good for breast health. High dietary levels of vitamin E. That's a fat-soluble vitamin. It's kind of like vitamin D. It's not really a vitamin more than it is a hormone. Um, High levels of selenium. Also implicated in breast health. Sufficient vitamin D. So that means sunlight for 25 minutes a day for most. If you have a darker complexion, um, you will need more than 25 minutes a day. And so, you know, it's kind of a funny thing. Sunscreen is often promoted for preventing skin cancer, but the problem is, is that it also prevents the formation of vitamin D. Vitamin D is a really important antioxidant. And we talk about it a lot here on the podcast and in in the group and in the Root Cause Revolution membership. But in this context, you have to understand that vitamin D also inhibits the initiation phase of breast cancer. So let me say that again. Vitamin D inhibits the initiation phase of breast cancer. So you may have heard me say on previous podcasts that your body chooses to or not to have cancer millions of times a day. And this is one of those small ways that it does that. Number five, adequate levels of melatonin. Okay. Melatonin is reduced by too much light at night. It is reduced by too much alcohol. It is reduced by beta blockers if you're on that medication. So the pineal gland, and we've talked about this some in sleep episodes, reacts to light at night by producing or reacts to no light at night by producing melatonin. Melatonin is, drumroll, breast cancer inhibiting. So constant exposure to light at night, illumination at night, whether it is from a nightlight, from a streetlight, from your phone screen, from your iPad, reduces the production of melatonin. It actually reduces the the production of melatonin as much as the use of daily alcohol. So combine those two together and you're in a real bad spot, right? And so this increases, melatonin alone increases the risk of breast cancer by the same amount as daily use of alcohol, right? But this episode isn't about getting five to 15 minutes of sunlight a day and sleeping in a totally dark room. I just want you to know that those are two things that really help to mitigate this risk significantly. Uh, Number six, uh, another uh, breast health 
Another thing implicated in breast health is significant exercise, right? Moving heavy things, lifting weights. Um, you don't have to be a power lifter, uh, but moving heavy things and lifting weights is um, one way to prevent early death, right? Because frailty is what tends to get people. Um, and frailty impacts your immune system, your ability to metabolize glucose, all the things, right? So having muscle on your body is critical. Now, something that I want to impart on you as we talk about these six things, a number of them, I, I mentioned vitamin C, vitamin E, selenium, vitamin D, um, even melatonin are all available in supplement form, right? But before you go shopping on Amazon or heading to my full script to fill supplement <laughs> recommendations for any of these, know that supplements do not have the same cancer preventative effects as whole food as eating good nutrition, right? We want to make sure that we're not using supplements as a crutch. Supplements are a bridge, um, but we don't want to use them as a crutch to try not to make changes. You, I've said it a million times before, you can't out-supplement a bad diet. Now, if we want to dive deeper into these, we certainly can. Reach out, post in the group, let me know if you want to dive into these further. But we're here to talk about annual mammograms, right? So... <laughs> Mammograms are probably the most widely publicized aspect of breast cancer, right? You find ads in, you know, on the TV and magazines, on social media, you find hashtag of this is 40 or, you know, that sort of thing associated with mammograms. Here's the thing, and I want you to hear me. Screening mammograms do not prevent breast cancer, okay? Screening mammograms do not prevent breast cancer. A mammogram is an x-ray. And as we talked about in the top of the episode, x-rays are implicated in the cause of cancer. The ads that you see promoting regular screening advert- uh, regular screening mammograms are paid for, for by those who stand to profit from their acceptance and wide use. So that begs the question, should you have a screening mammogram at what age and how frequently? Interestingly, Science doesn't agree to the answers to these questions. So I could find studies to support any stance I want to take on this, right? Here's my stance. And this is a stance that you have to determine based on your lifestyle, your family history, uh, your current ability to maintain or have maintained an anti-cancer lifestyle. But here's the thing. All mammograms are x-rays. And depending on whether or not you have a diagnostic mammogram, when a practitioner or when you fill one on yourself, a lump, finds a lump or you find a lump and and want to see what it is, or whether you have a screening mammogram that's only done on you when you're healthy to determine if there are suspected signs of cancer, such as a shadow or microcalcifications, both procedures, diagnostic and screening mammograms, are a series of x-ray. And usually there's at least four per breast, um, depending on at least four uh, x-rays, four four shots taken, if you will, per breast um, for either screening or diagnostic mammograms. Now, nowadays there are things, low radiation mammograms, and they are safer than they used to be. They do offer less radiation. But in a lot of times, less radiation means a lower grade picture, right? And one could argue that... The radiation exposure is minimal, but nonetheless, is it necessary? Here's some statistics for you. Roughly 8 out of 10 positive mammograms, 8 out of 10, that's 80%, 
are false positives that ends in a subsequent biopsy that does not confirm the presence of cancer. As many as half of the mammograms and at, at a really excellent facility that that number could be as low as 10 to 15%, but average is 50% of negative mammograms are false negatives. Okay. So 80% of positive mammograms are false positives and 50%, but in a really reputable facility as low as 10 to 15% of negative mammograms are false negatives. In other words, if every woman in the United States that was 40 to 50 years old were screened yearly for a mammogram, 40 out of every 100 breast cancers would be missed. And if all women 50 and over were screened, 13 out of every 100 breast cancers would be missed. Now, you know, I'm trying to play both sides here, devil's advocate. It's important to note that neither diagnostic nor screening mammograms detect cancer. Okay. So diagnostic, or I'm sorry, screening mammograms don't prevent cancer and neither diagnostic nor screening mammograms detect cancer. What they do is reveal areas of tissue that are dense, dense or changed in the breast. And these areas of tissue may be cancer. They may be associated with cancer. They may be normal tissue, but a mammogram cannot tell. The only way to tell is to do a biopsy and over 80% of the biopsies that follow up on a suspicious screening mammogram find no cancer, which is a good thing, right? It's it absolutely is. It's great news. I want to continue. What what is more important than your screening mammogram is your breast self-exams. Women find their own cancer most of the time. And according to one study, women find their own cancers 90% of the time. Monthly breast exams and breast massages provide early detection at a low to no cost, at low to no danger when compared to a yearly mammogram. Now, breast self-exam is imperfect, absolutely, but so are mammograms. And what if you want something a little more precise, right? Then if you want something a little more precise than a breast self-exam, I still suggest you do the breast self-exam, but maybe an annual thermography or ultrasound would be better. There are many freestanding ultrasounds. I referred a client to one just last week, but you cash pay an ultrasound and usually they're between $100 and $300 depending on where you live. You don't need a doctor's order because the company has a doctor on staff. If you've ever had a suspicious mammogram, typically what happens is you have your screening mammogram and they find dense breast tissue, they find microcosmications, they find whatever. And the second step is an ultrasound guided biopsy. And then further dissection, depending on what is found, remembering that 80% of those ultrasound guided biopsies will find nothing. Now, if you or your family really feel strongly about getting a mammogram, there is a less risky way to participate in screening mammography. In national health plans in European countries, such as England, Holland, Italy, and Sweden, they actually don't recommend screening mammograms any more frequently than every two years, and they only start after menopause. So they don't start at 40, they start after menopause. There are many, many, many studies that demonstrate no advantage to your mammograms and show that every two or three years confirms the same decrease in mortality with less radiation hazard to individuals and far less cost. 
Okay. So having a mammogram starting after menopause, so your first your first annual mammogram when you have reached menopause, and then having a mammogram every two to three years has the exact same statistics as having a mammogram every year. And obviously, following the European protocol, you have a lot less radiation. So you're, you know, you're, you're not using one of the main things implicated in breast cancer uh, to try to prevent breast cancer, right? <laughs> so all this to say, what is the game plan? The game plan involves an anti-cancer lifestyle. And this is especially important with a hereditary history of breast cancer. Especially important. If you have aunts, mom, grandmothers with breast cancer, then an anti-cancer lifestyle should be priority in your life. So all those things we talked about, tobacco, alcohol, lifting heavy things, making sure you're sleeping, getting enough vitamin D, eating a nutrient-rich diet, all of those things are really, really important. If you are needing other ways to assess for and find early stage breast cancer, the primary way is always breast self-exam and breast massage. You should teach that to your kids. They should be doing that their entire lives. Um, The next like level up is thermography. Thermography and ultrasound are relatively safe. Um, They're available to people who want to avoid the radiation of mammograms. Thermography is a picture of a heat pattern of the breast. Um, Cancer is always hotter than the surrounding tissue. And ultrasound is used to bounce waves off the surrounding tissues to measure their density. Um, And breast cancer is more dense than surrounding tissues. Your second step, if they found something, would still be the same. It'd be a ultrasound ultrasound guided needle biopsy. So if you decide that breast self-exam, thermography, and or ultrasound are not for you, and you decide to have a mammogram or participate in annual or routine mammograms, then here are some tips, right? Number one, get the best, even if that means you have to drive to get there, right? You want to go to a place that specializes in doing mammograms and a place that's doing at least 20 to 30 a day. You want to make sure the facility is accredited. You want to ask the age of the equipment. Newer equipment exposes the breast to less radiation. You want to make sure it's a dedicated unit for mammograms. You want to ask how they ensure quality control and when their unit was last calibrated and serviced, right? Leading up to your mammogram, you want to load your blood with high vitamin C, high beta carotene. You want to do that about one week before and one week after your mammogram. If your breasts are tender, reschedule. If you are having a mammogram during your fertile years and for some reason um, you schedule your mammogram for, if you're having a mammogram during your fertile years, schedule the mammogram for seven to 10 days after your menstrual cycle begins. Okay, so if your period started on May 1, you want to schedule your mammogram sometime around May 7th through the 10th. Um, and if something pops up on your mammogram, whether it's microcalcifications, whether it's a density, whether, whether it's anything, first stop, take those original pictures, which are all digital these days, but if you end up somewhere that has film, but take original pictures and get a second opinion. Okay. Original pictures, get a second opinion. You can always get a second opinion that is an ultrasound without the needle biopsy. You may have to pay for it out of pocket, but that is, uh, you know, an, an option for you. So if this kind of topic is interesting to you, I can do an upcoming episode of 
what to do if they find something in your mammogram, right? What what steps, what options do you have? Because a lot of times you're, you're kind of pushed down a pathway, uh, depending on your doctor, depending on your and your doctor's relationship. And so we can really get into, um, you know, what what is a microcalcification and what does it mean and all of those things. So hopefully, this leads you on a path to making really good anti-cancer breast health um, supporting changes in your lifestyle and habits, and at least gives you some food for thought to go and do some more research, a jumping off point, if you will, um, to reconsider some of the recommendations that are made to us um, as part of our current medical paradigm. As always, thank you so much for listening. I would love it if you would subscribe and share this episode if you know a woman that it could help. And I will see you on Friday for Ask Audrey. Be well. Thank you for listening to the Root Cause Revolution podcast. Be sure and subscribe on your favorite podcast provider. Ratings and reviews are always appreciated.